Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the Washington, D.C. area, we have Jeffrey James Higgins on the phone. Jeffrey has been a guest on the Law Enforcement Show way back in 2017, back when it was just a podcast only. Uh, it's good to have him back. Jeffrey, thanks for being a guest on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to speak to your audience. You've got quite the background. You were a journalist. You were a sheriff's deputy, I believe, in uh, the, the Tampa, Florida area, and you retired DEA. Did I miss something? No, that's right. Those are the highlights. Yeah, I was with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for about five years back in the 90s, and then I went to DEA and spent the majority of my career there and retired with about 25 years of total law enforcement. So you've been around the the, the horn, so to speak. You've seen it, done it, been there. Yeah, it certainly was a unique experience. I feel really uh, fortunate to have been able to have it. I, I, everybody I worked with and the, the places I was able to work were really fulfilling. I spent I spent the majority of my career with DEA working on narco terrorism. So I you know I spent about five years doing transnational criminal groups in New York City, and then I went and I helped. I was one of the first people into the new uh, Kabul country office in Afghanistan after nine eleven. And I was, a, I was able to work on the Joint Terrorism Task Force in the, immediately after 9-11. And for a while, I, I worked in a operational watch center down at Homeland Security as a, as a DEA liaison post 9-11. And then I, I spent uh, about five years on our DEA's foreign tactical teams. They were the FAST teams. So I was going after narco-terrorists. And that, that's what I did for the majority of my career and spent five years near the end of my career doing these uh, transnational criminal organizations investigations at going after narco-terrorists so it, it was it was a really uh, fun career i'm sure it was we'll talk more about that uh, in a bit what are you doing now now i'm writing so i i have a book of blood and powder that my agent is is pitching to publishers which talks about dea's entry into the into the war on terror basically so from my experience i was, I was one of the first three people we walked down to the north tower after a collapse on 9 11 and being motivated from that point on really just to work on terrorism and then 
pushing my agency and having other people realize the the connectivity between the, the terrorist groups that the CIA and FBI were looking at and the the drug groups, the, the trafficking organizations, and the nexus between those two. So I, from that point on, DEA got more and more involved, till in the end I spent years, as I mentioned, on these narco-terrorism squads. You have a website. People get more information. What is that? Yeah, that's uh, JeffreyJamesHiggins.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, James Higgins, H-I-G-G-I-N-S. And, yeah, I'd encourage people to go there. It's, uh, you can enter your email. And whenever I publish or have a media appearance, I, I, I send out a blog, so you'll get it. It's not, not that frequent, but uh, all, all my, my, the books I'm working on and the articles and things will go up there. Jeffrey's also written several articles for law enforcement today. Go to letradioshow.com. For example, the most recent one, uh, just put a search here, put in uh, no epidemic of racist police. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Your input is so good. There are people, I'm pretty good when it comes to the speaking bit. I'm pretty good when it comes to radio. I know what I'd love to write, but it never comes out correct when I do it. You seem to be one of these guys that is very good at mixing facts. And I'm not saying convoluting facts or distorting facts but taking facts and writing about them in a way that people like me go oh i get what you're saying and it's very obvious well thank you that's very kind of you to say i mean that's obviously the goal you know i'm hunting for truth and in this article and some of the previous ones that i've I've written for for law enforcement today i was you know i you hear there's a racist police problem and it's obviously if it's going on it's horrible and something we need to address so I really went in saying, well, let's see how bad the systemic problem was, and then came to all my conclusions from my research. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's really important, especially when, when people have high emotions about things that are you know, horrible, like the, 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 the George Floyd murder, right? You see things like that, and everyone has an emotional reaction, which is understandable and, and probably required. But then before you start working on policy, I think it's really important to take a step look at the facts, look at the science, and, and, and have a dispassionate approach to creating policy or evaluating policy. And so in my articles, what I try to do is just share some of the actual data and statistics with people so they can use that in making up their own minds, because you, you really can't believe what you read in headlines or what pundits tell you. you every, every, everybody's responsibility in a free society is to find the facts and make up your own mind. So that's what I encourage people to do, and I try to give them the ammunition to, to think rationally. Well, you'd think it would be very easy to do, it, especially online and social media. People see something, and they, they take the, the bait, like a fishing term, and they run with it. And you've got access to Google. You can search yourself. You can take five minutes. Just for example, look at all the popular memes, and a lot of them are politically based, and they turn out to be not true at all, but people don't take two minutes to figure it out. And which we'll talk about as well, you can use your own real-life experiences to counter a lot of what you hear. I learned early on in police work, I'm sure you did as well, that the news media is not your friend. The news media, they're not required to tell the truth or to give facts. Their job is to sell, if you're a print media, to sell newspapers. If it's TV, to get people to watch your broadcast. If it's radio, to get them to tune in. And the way they do that is they use colorful, explicit language, especially in the headlines, and the facts, that, I always say this, the facts that absolve the officer are hidden at the very end of the article. People almost never read that. 
you know that that's true it's it's more so on social media right because you have the whole the whole phenomenon of clickbait where they're trying to to uh be as graphic as they can or have the most inflammatory language to get you involved and they they totally play to emotions and unfortunately i mean i started as a journalist i went to journalism school for my undergraduate degree at boston university and i always planned on being a reporter and i did do it for a few years and before becoming enamored with law enforcement and then switching over into law enforcement and um, I've seen journalism change significantly. It's it's never perfect, you know. There are always people do have inherent biases. People are always looking for confirmation bias to, you know, confirm find facts that confirm what they already believe. But journalism used to be at least people were trying to be objective. And now you see it, you know, really across the political spectrum too. But now now you, now you you see it in in the media. And when I see stories in mainstream media now, for the first time in my life since about the 2016 election, since I think that's when the wheels really came off. I've, when I see a story now, I really hesitate to believe it when before my default position was to assume maybe it was biased in the way it was spun or maybe the, all the facts weren't there, but it would be generally accurate. Now, I often think, you know what, I don't think that's even true and I'm going to have to go dig for facts. And you know what, unfortunately, occasionally it turns out I'm right. And that, that's really a shame, you know, without without that a is. free media to, to be a watchdog for our government, where we're all in really big trouble. And they're very you know? much needed. One of the things I say all the time is, there are no Woodward and Bernstein's left. Watergate would never be discovered nowadays if it was occurring. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll return our conversation with Jeffrey James Higgins in just a bit. Don't go anywhere. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Back to our conversation with Jeffrey James Higgins. Jeffrey is a journalist. He was a deputy sheriff in Florida. He was a career DEA agent specialized in narco-terrorism. And he's also a pretty good writer. But that goes back to the journalist part. And I got to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous. I have grand ideas of things I love to write but it just never comes across. When I write, Jeffrey, it comes across like, yeah, and another thing, you're an idiot. So it, that's why I don't do that. The latest article that Jeffrey wrote on Law Enforcement Today, they're going to discuss in depth, there's no epidemic of racist police shooting and killing black Americans. Just go to letradioshow.com and do a search for Jeffrey James Higgins or epidemic of racist police, and it should pop up. 
give us the bird's eye view of what you found when you started researching that, the, the basis of your article. Well, you know, so this is in the in the aftermath of the George George Floyd murder, you know, and what what struck me was literally everybody in the country believes that racism is wrong. I mean, so you're talking a small, very small one or two percent of like serious racists in this country, which, by the way, goes across racial populations. Yes, it does. People are tribalistic, so it doesn't matter your race. There are racists in every in every uh, group, but uh, other than a small people, a uh, small group of people, everybody is against racism and i mean you can just look at our history and how 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 much we've changed over the last hundred years right but also everyone's against police brutality you know so when you see this horrific horrific uh death everyone i knew i mean it was hard to watch it was difficult for me as a former law enforcement officer to watch and and yet so I'm, i'm not really sure who's standing on the other side of this argument so when you see protests i mean there were police marching in protests as well which I don't necessarily agree with, by the way, because there are other things that the protests were, were advocating for. But on the, as far as that was, that, that appeared to be a, a horrific death, and racism is bad, and there shouldn't be police brutality. We all agree. You know, so what I did was I went back. I, I did the, a, a couple of analyses in, back in 2017 and 2018. So I went back again. Let's look at what the numbers look like. To, because there's really three questions. There's, there's one, is there a systemic problem with, with uh, police officers murdering black Americans? Two, you know, if so, is that driven by racism? And then three, what can we do to prevent police brutality? So those are essentially the three basic questions. And by the way, I limited my article to uh, fatal police shootings because it gets really convoluted and it's, it's much more difficult to, uh, to determine, you know, whether, whether a death was, was legitimate or not when it's non-shooting related. The reason being what I did was... I took, uh, there were, let me just give you just a few stats. I won't kill you with stats here, but there were, in the, I'm using the Washington Post database for the number of killings because they're generally far greater than the ones I'm getting from government sources. And they do a deeper job and they're certainly not pro police. So I figured these, these were the, the most unbiased, at least for police that I could find. So there, in 2019, there were 1,003 people shot and killed by police. 25 of them were white and 14 were black. And so what I did was I, I focused on the, the, uh, the uh, unarmed, 25 unarmed white people and 25 unarmed black people. So I, I focused on the unarmed. And as you know, and as you know, people who are familiar with law enforcement know, just because you're unarmed doesn't mean it was a bad shooting. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I looked at the 14 blacks who, unarmed blacks who were shot and killed by police. And on the face of it, just from like the news stories and the facts, the vast majority of them looked like very good shootings. Like they were fighting for the officer's gun. There'd been a shots fired call in a long car chase. They were fighting with the officer, that kind of thing. So it wasn't, you know, so they, they just seemed good. And one of the cases, an officer had been charged with murder. And in a couple other ones, they looked a little suspicious to me. So about three out of the 14, actually right off the top, just looking at very minimal information, I thought weren't great. But so anyhow, but for the sake of argument, I said, let's assume every time an unarmed black male is shot, it's a bad shooting just for the sake of argument, even though we, we, we know that's not true. So I, I took I, I looked at those numbers. And if you look at the number, like basically the number of sworn police officers and these numbers vary greatly. But I, I mostly relied on the Bureau of Justice Statistics and on the uh, FBI's UCR. I, you know, I use the Department of Labor, U.S. Census, like government stats for these things. There's about at least 300 or excuse me, 686 um, hundred thousand sworn police officers and of that means for every one unarmed black male who who was killed it was about forty nine thousand officers for the ratio so you know if 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 one if a police officer has a bad shooting there's forty nine thousand other officers that weren't doing that 
You know, so we're again, we're looking at are these problems, are these systemic problems within police? That's a term we hear all the time, systemic racism. And it's a toxic culture is another term I hear. And I hear that it's implicit bias. And and we'll get back to your stats in a moment. One of the things I always say is these are things that can't be quantified. They can't be. Give me examples. Give me numbers. They are concepts that if I believe them, then they're true, even if the statistics show otherwise. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when you say, like, like you know, uh, in, inherent bias, for example, you know, there are numerous studies, although they're, they, they're very rarely replicated, where they can, like, flash pictures of, like, a black face and a white face, and people are supposed to, to determine, like, click a button to determine if it's uh, if there's more of a threat or less of a threat. And, and some of these studies have found that, like, pictures of black faces, people... In, in subconsciously, because they're not having time to think about it, we'll click. That's more of a threat. But there was a 2014 study, and I think it was published in the Journal of Experimental Criminology. But basically, they, they flash these pictures of people to determine if there was this inherent bias going on. But then they ran people through fats or something similar to that, like laser simulations, where there'd be scenarios and they'd have to shoot or not shoot. And what they found was there was no correlation between the peop- the the in- inherent bias and people's actual behavior and, and as a matter of fact in that study white unarmed subjects were shot 47 times or 46 or 47 I don't remember exactly and there was only one unarmed black shot during that study and they found that white white subjects also took longer to shoot a black suspect even when it was it was required in the scenario so these like subconscious associations they talk about do not translate between the implicit bias and the uh behavior and i've seen other studies that are non-law enforcement related that that also uh, have come to the same results part of the problem jeffrey is well first of all i get kind of really skeeved out for lack of better words just having this conversation it's very uncomfortable it's been made very very clear that because of my race i cannot talk about these sort of things without being labeled by somebody so i'm glad we're having a conversation as uncomfortable as it is the term unarmed would be a young black man a young white man or whatever term people want to use i find both of those terms to be honest very not descriptive and they really don't work and i don't like them to be totally honest but we've got to have the argument and discussion about the statistics so for every unarmed person that was shot by a police officer, the first thing I tell people is the vast majority of police that are shot, a good, if not the majority of them, are shot with their own weapon. And there's a fight that goes on. When the fight starts, the suspect's unarmed. At some point, quite often, they make a play for the officer's weapon and becomes armed. And then if you want to be tactical, they can both be armed at the same time. Right, that's true. And, and, you know, there's one thing basically that everyone, regardless of race, who is shot and killed by police officers has in common, and that's that they were resisting arrest. Absolutely. It could be a nonviolent where they're fleeing in a car, getting into a car chase. It could be where they're, where they're fighting for the officer's gun or whatever. But they're not following directions. They're not, they're, you know, if, if someone believes that they're being arrested illegally. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is 
our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. We're going to take a short break. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're turning our conversation with Jeffrey James Higgins in just a few moments. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Back to our conversation with Jeffrey James Higgins on the Law Enforcement Show. Jeffrey was a news journalist. He was a Hillsbury County, Florida sheriff's deputy and did a full career at the DEA, working on narco-terrorism, and he does a lot of writing now. Get more details at his website, jeffreyjameshiggins.com. Before we end the break, Jeffrey, we're talking about this whole concept of unarmed men, and I just want to people to understand what ended my career and almost cost me my life was an unarmed man in Baltimore. It doesn't really matter what color his skin was. What happened, car thief, a lot of cocaine in the car, a lot of crack. And when I went to arrest the guy before I could get the service weapon reholstered, he tried to grab it and shoot me with my own service weapon while it was still in my hand. And we fought. And we fought over it. And the gun was turned towards my face. And all six rounds got fired off. Fortunately, I was not shot. He was not shot. I thought I sprained my wrist during the fight. I wound up having three surgeries, two steel plates, and retired. That was a classic scenario of the typical unarmed man. And it could have gone either way. It could have been a deadly situation for him and or me. Both of us tried. You know, you're very fortunate that you survived that. that that's what people, when they hear unarmed, they, they automatically assume it's a, it's a police murdering somebody. And, like, you know, I t- I just, you can easily go on. If you go onto the Washington Post website, they have their Fatal Force database. You can go on, and it has a link to, like, the news stories from each. Like, you can break it down by race. You can break it down by gender. You can break it down by, you know, unarmed un- 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 or unarmed. And you can look at the news stories and look at the, of the 14 unarmed blacks who were shot and killed in 2019. Look at the stories. They were fighting with police. There were, you know, police responding to a shots fired call and get into a lengthy, uh, you know, car pursuit. And then after they, after there's a shooting and the suspects are shot, they find guns in the car. I mean, you know, they're, they're, when you, when you start to hear all the facts, you go, huh, maybe, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if, if there's, there's been a, a bunch of names that have been, uh, bantered around quite a bit in the media recently and you, and you hear these names like um you know obviously the george floyd was horrific and basically everybody agrees but yeah. just I, I just saw something today and i've, I've had it from multiple organizations they, when they talk about police racism they lump that george floyd and then they mention other names and the three names i hear all the time are brianna taylor tony mcdade and rayshard brooks brianna taylor was in her home she was an emt 
when there was a, a police search warrant on her home, when the police came in, it was a no-knock warrant. She shot one of the officers. She shot first. They returned fire and killed her. You know, you can argue about no-knocks and, and the way that, and what, what kind of probable cause they had, but a judge signed a warrant and they went to execute it. What is the officer supposed to do when they go to execute a legal warrant and he gets shot in the process, right? The other one was Tony McDade. It was, it was a man with a long, violent history with weapons who posted on the media that he was going to go out and hurt somebody, and then he was going to get police to shoot him and kill him. He, he went and he murdered, stabbed, stabbed somebody to death. He was a murder suspect. Police responded to the murder, got into a chase with him, and he turned around and pointed a gun at them. I think this was in Miami. And they shot and killed him. What were they supposed to do when the murder suspect points a gun at them? And the other one's the Rayshard Brooks, the one people are probably most familiar with recently, which was down in Atlanta, where after like something like a 25-minute civil discussion, the police officers decided to arrest the suspect for, uh, for drunk driving. And he fought them, slammed them to the ground, stole one of their tasers, and then shot the taser at one of the officers, and the officer shot him. You know, I, I don't. It, people think, oh, it's a, it's less than lethal. If you get a, if you get a taser in the eye, it could blind you. It could kill you. Tasers that are improperly used are deadly weapons. That's why police are trained on them. I, I used to be a, a less than lethal force instructor. So these are these are dangerous situations, and you can't you can't be shot with a taser when you have a gun on your hip and think that you're going to come out of that alive. So, you know, they they lump all these together as if they're all bad shootings. And in fact, of all of them, the only one I could I, you can tell was you know was the George Floyd death. That's the only one that we all watched on video and know it know is wrong. There's absolutely nothing about that that was. I've, I've never heard one person, any police, active, retired, go, well, maybe there was something to... No, everybody uniformly with George Floyd has said, we watched something horrible happen. And I'll be honest with you, Jeffrey, I couldn't watch the whole thing because I knew the man died and I, I couldn't watch him being killed. I was furious at the cop who did... But I was even more furious at the other three. I'm like, how did this... How did they not get involved? I... And I don't want to get lost in that conversation because it is a long one. One of the things you hit on that's so important in this is what gets thrown out there on the headlines is race. And that becomes a predominant theme right away. And it doesn't even matter now what the race of the officer is. Uh, they totally disregard all the actions of the person before that incident. Uh, for the last part of the scenario was the use of force. There's a lot of things that happened before then. We'll talk about Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta. People said, why didn't just let him go? And I said, cops have been sued and departments have been sued for letting drunk drivers go when they come back and get their car and leave and then hit someone. Mothers Against Drunk Driving are the ones who brought that to everybody's attention, rightfully so, so that doesn't happen anymore. Eventually, it came a point where they had to make a decision and they made the decision. Then some things happened. He decided to resist arrest. He assaulted one of the officers. He stole something from the officer. That's become what you call an assault and robbery. And then you have the pursuit and the firing of the taser. So a lot of things happened before the officer fired his gun. And I'm not defending him. I'm just saying you can't look at the end result and make it the whole scenario. You just can't. You know, so as a, as a former uh, lesson lethal force instructor, I will defend the officer. Shooting somebody who has a taser and is trying to tase you with it is, is, is a justified use of lethal force. If you get tased, you're going to be incapacitated and you have a gun. That gun can be taken and used against you or other people. Even the two officers, what's the, if one officer gets tased, what's the officer supposed to do? Chase the guy? 
And if, if someone, by the way, those I don't know that specific taser, but most of them, not only will they shoot prongs, but they, you can also make a contact hit. So I believe that's what they were trying to do in the initial struggle, where you just press the actual taser. So you can't put your hands on a suspect who's holding a taser or he'll tase you. <laughs> and, and then, and then you know, there's nothing to protect your life or the lives of other people. And it's not up to a police officer to choose to let people go. Their job is to right. enforce the law and somebody right. committed a crime. So I will defend them. That, that was a good shoot by the way we are trained to do it. And, the, and to try to – here's a problem. You try to lump in good shootings as racist shootings – it, it takes something away from something that was, in fact, a horrible uh, 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 incident of police brutality. And by the way, even when it's when it is clearly like a bad shooting or it's a it's police brutality, you can also not just infer racism because of the different races of people. You know that that kind of logic doesn't make any sense. And and you, you, see, you see it where the media will ignore if it's a black officer shooting a black suspect, right? That that doesn't fit the narrative, so they ignore it. You'll they'll ignore it when an unarmed white person, which by the way, every year there's more unarmed white uh, suspects who are shot and killed by police than blacks. Now they're a few, they're a broader, a bigger piece of the population, so there's still a disparity in proportion. But we don't know their names because nobody reports on it. And if you if you if you if you were if if the if and here this is always this is as a rational person this is what bothers me so much if you're going to have a standard fine we can debate whether the standard's good or bad but it has to be equally applied and if you say just because there's a difference in race between two people who have a confrontation therefore racism you would also and I don't agree with that I think it's obviously wrong I think you would you would you would have to you would have to look at interracial crime in this United States, where blacks commit a four five hundred and forty seven thousand crimes against whites, and whites only commit fifty nine thousand crimes against blacks. It doesn't mean that if you're black you're more racist. It doesn't mean if you're if you're white you're less racist. But you know you if you if you're going to use the same standard for police, you would have to apply it to criminals too, right? And, and, you apply and, it to everybody in every walk of life and every occupation. And when we return, we're going to talk about. Are police held to a different standard? The answer is yes, but is the standard when you compare it to nurses, lawyers, teachers, is it the same? Is it similar? Is it even close? And the, the rationale, justification behind, uh, you only stop me because of the color of my skin. This is the Law Enforcement A Show. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. We're talking with Jeffrey James Higgins. Get more details about him on his website, jeffreyjameshiggins.com. Also check out his writings on our website, letradioshow.com. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about Law Enforcement Today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Jeffrey James Higgins on the Law Enforcement Today show. Jeffrey is 
a retired DEA agent specialized in narco-terrorism. He worked for the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department in Florida. He's also a news journalist. He's written many articles at Law Enforcement Today. Just do a search at letradioshow.com and search for Jeffrey James Higgins when you get to our website. One of the things I hear all the time, Jeffrey, is, and I get this particularly on social media, someone gets stopped by the police for a traffic violation. And they'll say, the very first thing they'll say is, they stopped me because of the color of my skin. Or they stopped me because I'm a woman. Or they stopped me because of I'm a liberal or whatever it might be. And one of the things I always say is, take a look. Police can't tell 99% of the time who's in the car. And here's something people can do on their own. When you go to a red light and you're driving, look at the cars in front of you. And see if you can tell how many people are in a car, what their gender is, and what their race is. Not even including things like window tint. Just the headrest alone make it difficult. Curvature of the the back window. Lighting. Being darker on the inside than it is on the outside. Or being uh, the dark at night. You just can't tell until you get on top of them. And even from the front, if it's sunny, you can't quite often tell. Especially if vehicles going like 45, 50 miles an hour and you're stationary. And you don't have to drive. You could be walking down the street and look and see when you can tell. But I can't get people to listen to that. Right. And, you know, there was a famous study years ago. I think it was the New Jersey State Police or the troopers were accused of racism because they were stopping a higher uh, percentage of, of black drivers. And then the study came in and realized that black drivers were speeding at a higher rate. You know, I, th- I think in general, what you'll find is there's uh, the arrests, and in general, and that, by the way, if, if there if there is racial bias going on, we want to find it, and that's why I'm a, I'm a big fan of re- full reporting so we can identify it and stop it. But in my research, what I found is it's generally representative based on behavior. You know, so I'll give you like when I was a, when I was in patrol, I worked in first started in a, in a mostly white area. So guess what? The people I arrested were mostly white. My first shooting was against somebody who was white because of his behavior, and we were in an area where most people were white. Then I went to a mostly black neighborhood. I remember, I remember, I had one one day in particular. I remember I pulled somebody over because they didn't have a license plate on their car. They accused me of pulling them over because they were black and called my sergeant over. Both my sergeant and corporal were black, right? And then and they had to say, "No, this guy's not a racist. He's pulling you over for a reason." The very next call, I had two people fighting on two white people fighting on the side of the street, and I arrested one of them, and he accused me of arresting him because he was white. And it just struck me because it was back-to-back calls, right? After that, I went to a, a more Hispanic neighborhood where I worked a lot of gangs. And guess what? I was arresting more Hispanic people because that was a neighborhood. So I, I try to tell people, have a thought experiment. Picture a city that's split into half, half a, like a wealthy, rich section and half a, a poor section with high crime. One's low crime, one's high crime. Where do you put the police? You put the police in the high crime area, which is what happens in cities around the country. In those cities, in those, those the high crime areas, that's where the police are. So if you have 75% of your police in high crime neighborhoods and there's a higher percentage of black Americans living in those neighborhoods, then you're going to arrest more blacks. You're going to stop more blacks. You're going to get into more violent altercations with blacks. And that's, that's purely an expression of who is in the neighborhood that you're, that you're patrolling. Now, if, both, if, if, the, if a rich, low-crime neighborhood and a, and a, a poor, high-crime neighborhood were, were both uh, like the same mixture of races and you were only pulling over black people, that would be, that would be racial bias. Or if, if they were if they were in in a in a wealthy low crime area that was black and they were and they were focusing their police there, that would be racial bias. But that's not what's happening. Right. Well, there's actually laws in the books that that deal with that as a, as a matter of fact. And one of the things that I, I try to use 
my own experience because you can't argue with my own experience and just like you can't argue yours people can argue your opinions all day long your findings statistics whatever it might be and they won't listen to it i tell them in my police career i was involved in four shootings there was four young african-american men who shot at me at different times the first two contrary to what the media would tell you i didn't fire back because i just immediately knew it wasn't the right thing to do. The second two were long protracted affairs and everybody survived, thank goodness, I'm grateful. If I said that these four young African-American men shot at me because I was a white police officer, that would be ridiculous. It would be on its face. Everyone would know there's something wrong with me for making that claim because it's just not logical. There's nothing about that makes sense. They shot at me because they're trying to avoid apprehension. And any police that was there, if they'd not been me, and been someone else, would have had the same thing happen. But well, when we turn around, four, we, sorry, we turn around and say, but if I fire back because I'm white, it's automatically a racist motivated event. That's equally as illogical, but I can't get people to hear that. Right. It doesn't make sense. And it's a standard they don't apply to criminals. Right. So it's 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 a bad standard. I'm a big believer in facts. And, and listen, I think it's important to note that racist incidents do happen and there sure. are racist police officers and we're against that. And they need to be found out and, and drummed out of law enforcement. But what you hear is this narrative that this is there's these systemic problems. Now, I just did shootings in this in this article and you can just look at it. Basically, it's looking at the populations and the number of people arrested, the number of contacts and what a microscopic number people are actually shot and killed incorrectly right that aren't they're unjustified and what i what i do is in it because people say there's such a disparity in proportion of 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 blacks who are shot and killed but then i also look at these confounding uh variables like like the uh the crime rate populations you know where blacks commit 54 percent of homicides they commit 54 percent of robbery 33 percent of aggregated assault uh 28 of rapes like they're higher numbers and by the way, when you talk about populations, it does not it does not attach to an individual. So I could be part of a population that does some bad things. It doesn't have anything to say about me. But as a population, that's what you have to look at. So if you're saying this population is is being arrested more, well, when you look at the criminality within a population, then you can say, well, if those things equal out, then then the racism goes away. And in fact, it does. There's other factors, too, like age, you know, young people, young men commit, let's face it, most of the violent crimes Absolutely. in the country, regardless of race. A young man is, is from like 15 to 25 or, or is, is where most of that stuff's happening. And black, the average age in the uh, median age in the country is 34 for blacks and it's 44 for whites. So they're younger. Just because they're younger, they're going to have more people committing crimes. Poverty. $41,000 per year in household income for blacks, 70000 for uh, household income for whites. Poverty is, is directly correlated with it as well. Fatherless homes, urban living. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of other confounding variables. And anybody who knows anything about statistics knows you can't just look at two big, broad numbers. I mean, I'll give you the, the most famous one is, is uh, homicide rates go up at the same time as ice cream sales. But ice cream sales are, are not causing the homicide rates, right? It's other things like like heat and people being outside and alcohol use. Absolutely, you know? that, that we can always tell when summer comes around. That's when the the the, the bullets would start flying. We we're talking with Jeffrey James Higgins, and before we run out of time, Jeffrey, you have a lot going on. Where can people find more information about you? Well, I, you know, I'd ask them if they, they want look at the data because the data is how you can like genuinely look at this stuff and objectively look at it. Go to jeffreyjameshiggins.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, James, 
Higgins, H-I-G-G-I-N-S.com. And that some of my articles, there's a bunch of law enforcement articles there as well. And, and this, and, and I'm, I'm coming out with a book. I have a book launch here. It's actually a thriller. It's fun. It's a furious with a black rose writing. So I'm excited about that. And I have another book about a DEA's uh, entry into the war on terror, which uh, I, I don't, I don't have a publisher for that yet, but I hope to have one soon. So there'll be some fun stuff coming out in some articles. I mean, honestly, I, I wish I didn't have to write about this stuff. I mean, when you write about things like race and policing and, you know, you draw a lot of hatred from people. But I'm trying I'm trying to get to the facts because the facts matter. And we need to look at the, the non-lethal uses of force uh, against uh, black populations as well. You know, we need to find where there is actual racism and address it. But it's not here where you're hearing, hearing the narrative about fatal police shootings. It's, it's not here. One of the things I say all the time is when everything becomes racist, then we miss out on the true racist, race-driven, bias, prejudicial events. Because it's like it's like the sky is falling or Chicken Little or the boy who cried wolf. When you hear it all the time, it becomes, the more far-fetched it becomes, the less people pay attention. You become kind of tone deaf and we miss out. We said this, if it's a racist officer in the police department, we need to get rid of them. Same with a teacher, same with lawyers, same with doctors, nurses, you name the occupation, you're going to have some bad people. Jeffrey James Higgins, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. We definitely have to have you back. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? But there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page. It's just that simple. So you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement, our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. And when you see posts that you like, you agree with, especially episodes of the radio show and podcast, be sure to share it on your social media. Again, do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. And then show your support by sharing. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.